Greetings, this is John Duvall. Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. We'd like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us as we factor the truth of God's Word into your life and hopefully our lives as well. Uh, we had a little uh, hiccup there on the beginning, but now I think everything seems to be working fine. Before we jump in Acts chapter 13, I'm going to have Paul, if you would, to let everybody know how you can participate in today's study. Be happy to do that, John. As we uh, think about our study for today, maybe you're joining us on the uh, YouTube or truthfactor.com, uh, or maybe you're joining us on the Facebook, and so we'd be happy for you to engage with us. And so what you need to do is find us on truthfactorlive.com or truthfactor.com and look at the live viewing page. You can go to youtube.com and slash truthfactorlive or facebook.com slash truthfactorlive. If you want to connect with us via Twitter, you can do the same thing. Uh, it's truthfactorlive on Twitter as well. And so we'd love for you to join with us and to study with us. I apologize. I kind of I bungled that a little bit because I was distracted, but uh, we look forward to a good Bible study today that we're not distracted from. And maybe you have a question you'd like to email in. Send us an email at questions at truthfactor.com, and we'll get that question. And any interaction you have with us, we'll try to inter introduce that in a timely fashion. John? Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Um, don't worry about bungling it. That seems to be the way we started the study today, but that's all right. As long as we get the content right, we're in good shape. Um, we are currently at Seminole Point uh, Church of Christ here in Edmond. We're under, we're in the middle of our summer gospel meeting with Brother David Banning, and he agreed to join me today in this study. Dave's good to have you with us today. Good to be here, John. Thank you. He's delivered many, many, many fine lessons, and they're all are available on our YouTube channel, and will eventually be um, on our website. We just got to get that brought up speed. But it is youtube.com slash Seminole Point. See uh, Seminole Point. So I was going to spell it out, but I'm not going to do that. Youtube.com slash Seminole Point. P-O-I-N-T-E. Let me share that with you. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started with our study today. We are in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And in this particular chapter, we're, we're, um, we have seen the Apostle Paul. We've seen his obedience to the gospel, uh, his meeting up with Barnabas. And now we're going to find Paul and Barnabas. They are going to be called up to the to um, called to be sent out to preach the word of God. Many times we call it his first missionary journey, but it's the first time that they're about to go out. And and as they go out on this journey, and we'll talk about this as we go through the chapter, there's going to be a fulfillment of prophecy regarding Paul. He will be teaching both the the uh, Gentiles as well as the Jews, and it's very interesting because Barnabas himself will find himself in a predicament in Galatians chapter 2 that kind of makes you, you wonder why he allowed himself to fall to the hypocrisy as Peter did. Um, we're, we're in, our, in, Acts, in um, our Wednesday night class, we're in Galatians chapter 2, and in our Sunday morning class, we're in Acts chapter 9, and it's interesting that Barnabas traveled with Paul this whole time. All the Gentiles saw their conversions, um, and Peter, of course, with the conversion of Cornelius, obviously Peter should have known better. But it's interesting that Paul, that Barnabas was called up to the same level of hypocrisy. And it's Paul that had to step forward and straighten everything out. Um, but it just shows that we're all, we all make mistakes. We're all weak sometimes and kind of blunder. It's susceptible to peer pressure. It, very much so. Yeah. So I had to be careful with the guys here on, on the truth factor. Um, 
There's a lot of some sort of pressure going on there. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and get the um, outline brought up here, and let's get this starting in our reading there. Paul, I'm going to have you, if you would, to go ahead and read the first three verses, and we'll spend a couple of minutes looking there um, at that before we continue on with our study. But it gives us kind of an introduction to this. I'll be happy to do that, John. We'll read in uh, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And as we read the scripture there, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. John, uh, can I uh, make one comment about this church at Antioch? Yes, please do. I'm impressed with this church at Antioch. I realize it was the Holy Spirit that separated Barnabas and Saul, but in a church that had so much talent and so many who were serving and so many who could do so many things, they didn't just say, well, look how great we can be. They looked at the work that could be done in other places, and when the Holy Spirit called them to send out uh, Barnabas and Saul, uh, they did that readily. And we're going to see that as a uh, continuing characteristic of this church at Antioch. They were interested in the gospel being spread to other places as well as their local location. That's a very good point. Um, I can't help but think about the church in Thessalonica when you read Paul's, uh, the first chapter at least, is uh, to the first uh, letter to the Thessalonians there. But that's a very good observation, especially early on in the history of the body of Christ to see Antioch being noted as such. Um, good point. So... Brian, if you would take a moment, let's go ahead and drop the chat room comment or question in there. And I see you've already done that. So let's bring this up on screen here real quick. For those in the chat room, we're going to be asking the question here in a moment. In verse 2, we see the Holy Spirit's message of the two groups listed, prophets and teachers, to whom might the message have come? It's not really a tricky question per se, but and I'm not sure there's a positive or a definite answer, but something to think about. In the Holy Spirit's message, the two groups listed, prophets and teachers, to whom might the message have come? All right, so as we give consideration to this chapter there, we have five individuals who are listed at the start of this. And um, Tom, who are these five individuals listed being present at this, I'm going to say meeting, for lack of a better way of, of, of calling it? Well, I mean, the, the description that is given for them in verse 1 is they're uh, prophets and teachers. Uh, of course, we, uh, we know Saul and Barnabas. They've been introduced and so on, and they would fit in both of those categories. Uh, the others were not given specifics. Uh, likely, they were leaders in the congregation there. That, that would be the only uh, leanings that I would have. Um, talking about the church there in Antioch. Yes, the church in Antioch. Yeah, possibly yeah. some of the, possibly the elders. You know, it is interesting. Uh, again, it doesn't the, call the term it is that. not used. What's yeah. that? It's interesting. It doesn't use that term, elders. But yet, yeah, um, when Paul goes to Jerusalem, there's an acknowledgement of men of notoriety of sorts with uh, Peter, James, and John. I believe one's mis- listed there. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, any any thoughts on that before we um, hit kind of hit the ne- next thought? I think Brian uh, introduced a thought to us earlier uh, about the work that and kind of a unique word here that I found interesting that I didn't know. All right, well, Brian, let's hear from you again. Well, it's it's a word that's not used very often in verse two. The word that is used that we translate as minister, uh, related to the word liturgy. Uh, in other places in the New Testament, it's used, for example, in the book of Hebrews to describe the service that the priests go through whenever they minister in the temple. Uh, so while it, it could be the idea that it's giving a sense of the importance of the work of just the day-to-day work of being a, a prophet or a teacher, it might also imply the idea that this is a moment in, in the midst of the worship assembly. That these things are going on that in other words this is a sunday they've gathered together for worship and in the midst of that worship assembly is when this message comes uh certainly like i said the the word is special and it gives us an implication of something a little more than just you know uh, the term typically translated as minister well brian do you think um when he talks about having fasted and prayed would that be more of a prolonged process that's a really great question, uh, and John, and I'm not sure I'm not sure too much what to think of that. In other words, uh, it, beyond its face value that they fasted and prayed, I, I'm not sure I would really know how to uh, what to think of the uh, time frame or or how that might have been brought about. The only reason um, I thought about it is because you mentioned a worship service, you know, and so maybe you kind of wonder about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does make you wonder. All right, any other thoughts on that? All right, the next question kind of goes along with this. And let me ask, um, Brian, you were already talking, so let me bring you back up here real quick. Any thoughts on the distinction between teachers and prophets? So, um, um, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of interesting that we oftentimes, uh, in the New Testament, we're told, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that the church was given apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, so we know that those are gifts given to the church. But those first two apostles and prophets mentioned back in Ephesians 2 and verse 20 were to the early church, or you might even make the case that they were given to the universal church, and they're not things that are present today. Teachers, of course, are something present today, and we uh, we oftentimes look to the qualifications of such, perhaps in places like uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, around verse 19, where Paul is talking about those those that are the the men of God, the servants of God. But we have teachers today. We don't have prophets today. The distinction being prophets probably received their messages or their information directly from God through a supernatural revelation, whereas teachers are people who, by by accurately handling the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, uh, they're the ones that are prepared to, to reveal the word of God. Maybe the only other distinction to note is a lot of times we try to make a distinction between what the Bible calls false teachers and what the Bible calls false prophets, false teachers being those that inaccurately or uh, handle the scriptures to their own destruction, whereas false prophets are people that claim they have messages from God. I think they may have frozen up. Uh, okay, well, um, beyond uh, that, I know that that kind of relates too to our uh, our chat room question as well. Um, but we would often understand that that prophets came about necessarily because of the laying on of hands of the apostles. Uh, again, that link up between apostles and prophets. Uh, John, whenever you're back in, you just jump back in. But uh, John, one thing we might consider too. 
Yeah. Uh, I see your mouth moving, but there's no words there. That's probably and, normal. There you go. <laughs> He's back. I do have one thought to go along with what Brian was saying. Uh, go ahead. You know, to be to be completely clear, Brian had a much more detailed answer, a, a more knowledge knowledgeable answer. All I did was use my Olive Tree app to look up what Strong's had to say about the two different words. Uh, they're prophets and teachers. And his opinion on it, and take that for what it is, but he says that a prophet was an inspired teacher, a teacher inspired of God, whereas a teacher had the same exact role and did the same exact thing, but, however, was not inspired. He was simply just an instructor, a teacher without the inspiration. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's probably what I should have said, Shelton. Thanks. Uh, that actually makes it much more simple and straightforward. That's exactly right. All right. Go ahead, David. One, one additional thought. Notice the clarity of the Holy Spirit's message. Uh, this yeah. isn't some mysterious impulse. I think maybe God wants them to do something. When the Spirit communicates to men, there is a clarity of message. This is who I want. This is what I want them to do. And I think that stands in contrast to what we sometimes hear attributed to the work of the Spirit today, where some kind of mystical impulse or feeling, yeah. clear message about what he wants here. I knew someone years ago who who um, was busy with us for a while, and then we didn't see him anymore, so I contacted them. We felt like the Lord wanted us to go to this other church. And about three <laughs> months later, the Lord changed his mind, and they went to another one. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Very specific here in this. Yeah. John, I wanted to mention something, if there's just a moment here, uh, is that we read uh, in verse 2 that they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And in verse 3, it says that they, having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them away. I, I don't necessarily think this needs to be a discussion on fasting, but we often find those two things, prayer and fasting, going together. So in this work that they were going to engage in, this God-approved, divinely-approved work they were going to engage in, we're going to see that uh, they're going to pray about it. They're going to fast. Uh, oftentimes, fasting has to do with getting focused on the importance of the work that's being done. And so I, I like that. I like that this church, as they send out Barnabas and Saul, that they are uh, focused with both prayer and fasting and making sure that that work is handled in a godly way. Okay. Good point. Good point. Any other thoughts? All right, let's go ahead and bring up the chat room question here real quick. So here it was in verse 2, we see the Holy Spirit's message of the two groups listed, prophets and teachers, through whom might the message have come. And I, know, I realize this overlaps uh, what we were talking about, um, but did we have any comments? I don't see any within our two main chat areas. I guess not. I'm going to say that it came through the prophets themselves. Um, I think teachers could have been, and I know, I realize the definition we gave a while ago, but I think teachers could have been inspired when you think about um, the gift of the Holy Spirit being given. Um, but probably in this setting, it may have been the prophets themselves. Maybe. Any thoughts? Uh, I see Jared had an unusual answer, or a different answer, uh, not unusual. He, he suggested that it came through Barnabas and Saul. So yeah, it could be. Yeah. Well, now, where where did you see that comment at? In Facebook, in Facebook. Okay, that, my system didn't bring it in. That's what I'm missing. Hang on just a second. Let's see if I can correct that. Yeah, I saw he, his suggestion was it was Barnabas and Saul. That yeah. Perhaps the message came through, which we, you know, I think uh, maybe Tom, somebody said it earlier that they were, uh, uh, they would fit in the role of both prophet and teacher. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and move yeah, on. And oh, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, and I was gonna, I was gonna say that's just what keeps coming to my mind. In that is, both of them are involved in the in the teaching process here, and with what's going on there, they're both they're both involved in this decision, whatever is taking place here. So, well, I don't know if I. I wouldn't disagree with that per se, but it's not so much they're involved in the decision. The message comes from the Holy Spirit yes. to the individuals, and so it's it's a simple obedience. But the whoever, if we're going to let's say let's call them leaders for the sake of a of the authority we see that appears to be here, it appears that the leadership at this congregation is giving the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas, sending them out to fulfill the Holy Spirit's direction there. And that would be putting some measure of authority on them, but it's coming from the Holy Spirit, though. You might observe that there could be a kind of a generic and specific authority lesson here, and okay. that uh, they were told to do this. They were told that they were to uh, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work. And so the way in which they did that, uh, that they had this authority from the Holy Spirit to do that, the way in which they did that was they fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them and sent them away. Okay. Good point. Good point. All right, well, let's go and look at the next section there, which brings us to verses four, um, verses four through twelve. And we're going to have Saul and Barnabas taken off. They're going to travel to the island of Cyprus. And um, David, what translation do you have there? I have the New King James in front of me. Oh, that is so cooperative of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let me get that brought up here real quick, and I'll have you, if you would, to read verses 4 through 12. Sure. All right, whenever you're ready. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they set sail to Cyprus. And when they had arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting uh, the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. All right. Thank you, David. I appreciate that. You read very well. Thank you. <laughs> Occupational hazard. <laughs> um, we'll come back to the section here in just a second, but let's go ahead and bring the uh, chat room question up for everybody to see. And what we're going to be looking at with this particular question is the following. What are some differences between the sorcerer Bar-Jesus and the sorcerer named Simon seen in Acts chapter 8? So while you're listening to the discussion and, and joining us, think about that for a little bit, because this is not the first time we've encountered a sorcerer. So we'll talk about that. Now, 
there's a couple of things I want to look at with this case in point, um, David. Here we have Paul's charges against Elamus. Okay. It is interesting to note that in these charges, he's very, um, he impugns Elamus's motives completely. What are your thoughts on that? I, you know, as I was reading that, John, I was just impressed with how really blunt he is <laughs> about who this guy is. Yeah. And it sure stands a sharp contrast to our culture where you know, I think most people consider all religious beliefs and practices of equal value, equally valid. Yeah. And, and so to encounter this in Scripture, I think a lot of people would find astonishing. And yet, and yet... The reality is that this guy is preventing a man from finding and coming to the truth. And it seems to me that Paul is not the least bit reluctant to call him what he is, uh, a son of the devil, an enemy of righteousness. I saw one note in in a study Bible that took that last part about son of the devil and kind of suggested that maybe... um, he was being aided by the devils in his prophecies. But I see this as, a, as Paul calls it, a sheer false prophet. You know, um, and, and doing the work of the devil, helping yes. the devil in his purposes. Yeah. Maybe unwittingly, but nonetheless, that's what was happening. Oh, yeah. That's exactly right. Guys, any of y'all have thoughts on that? All right. There's something else to consider here for just a moment. Um, and I, I skipped over a question that I pulled out of the outline for time's sake, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Brian. Who's a pro-counsel? The, the question was what? Who's a pro-counsel? Who is it? Is it Sergius Paulus? Is that what you're asking? Who it is okay. or what is a pro-counsel? What is a pro-counsel? Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I should have looked that up. Uh, I uh, I can tell you what a governor would be, of course. I think we all could, but a pro-counsel. Um, I know a consul was one of the higher ranks, and a pro-counsel must be a subordinate to that. Um, maybe, if, if I had to guess, somebody looked this up and... Uh, find the answer for us. I, I would guess that perhaps uh, Cyprus is not a true uh, territory. Maybe it's a subset of a territory and, it, and therefore it doesn't have a governor. I'm just not sure. Okay. He, he, you're, you're close to it. I mean, he was up there in regards to um, the, the Roman government. Someone kind of high up there with authority, not obviously in the leadership possession or position. Uh, Strong suggests that it was... Um, the imperial Augustus divided the Roman provinces into senatorial and imperial. The former were governed by proconsuls, and so it would have been kind of a leader there within that particular area there. Which makes so I wonder it, if that means he's above or below a governor. That's kind of an, that's interesting. I I just wish I'd studied that. I should look that up. That's okay. You, you know, uh, uh, Lunida, uh, the Logos software, Lunida, and also their own definitions of it deal with the sense of the word is it's it's a, it's a ruler of a province who is under the control of the Roman Senate. That's it. Okay. So, so you've got the answering to the Senate. So I don't know if that's more authority than a governor or. But whoever he was though, Tom, he definitely was hearing what was going on regarding Paul yeah. and Barnabas and their teaching. And he desired Absolutely. to hear. Yeah. He desired to hear from them. Um, Paul, do you got any thoughts or comments on this? No, I was, comp- I, I, in fact, I was just typing. Uh, I was comparing translations. It's just interesting to me to note that uh, the, kind of the trusted translations we often comparison read, like the ESV, uh, the American Standard, New American Standard, King James, New King James, uh, seem to all use the word pro So uh, 
apparently it was, you know, a position maybe a little bit unique to, to those days, but it seems to be that it would be someone who had not risen to the level of a, a regional king like Herod, yeah. but carried some authority. Yeah, makes sense. Now, for what it's worth, King James uses the word deputy. Deputy? Okay. Well, Michael, let me ask you this question uh, since you're there on the screen. Do you find any irony in the fact that Elamus was struck blind? Yeah. Yeah. Here's, uh, here's a guy that refused to see the truth spiritually. Why should he be allowed to see anything physically? Uh, as, as David pointed out just a little while ago, I don't think, uh, it just popped off my head, I can't remember Paul being any more direct in his uh, accusation toward anybody. He, he looks at him, he says, number one, you're full of deceit, you're full of fraud, you're the son of the devil, you're an enemy of all righteousness, you don't cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. This man couldn't be in any more harm, uh, or any, this this man couldn't be any more sinful. I don't think if if you tried to add to the list, the Spirit allowed Paul to make this man blind. Obviously, and uh, yeah, the irony is he wouldn't see the truth, but maybe he didn't see anything else. Yeah, and he was trying to blind. The oh, I'm blind to everybody from the truth. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly right. It, it reminds me of, of Paul's statement to court. He said that if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them uh, that believe not. Uh, David mentioned a minute ago whether or not Satan had an influence here with Elamus. I agree that, it, that Elamus is doing the work of Satan. I don't think Satan himself overtook this man, as had been the case in earlier time. This man is simply desiring to shut down the gospel of Christ, and it can't be done. Yeah. He was going to lose his uh, money source. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I find that kind of uh, fitting for today's world, too. There's There's just so many that want to set their own agenda instead of letting the gospel of Christ do its work. Um, I, I, I've, I don't want to take over here, but I've often said that if the gospel being hidden to the lost causes those souls to be lost, then what's God going to do with the souls of those of us who have the gospel and don't care enough to share it? That's a very serious charge. Paul and Barnabas have been sent to this place by the Spirit to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once these people, I'm stepping on your next question, but once these people see that Paul, through the Spirit, blinds Elamus and then hears the teaching of the Lord Jesus, how can they resist the truth? They're, they're eager to hear it now. Now we don't have the miracles, but we've still got the teaching of the Word of God, and I still don't understand why baptistries aren't busy 24-7. That's a good point, Mike. It's a very good point. It it is interesting to note that in the first, at least the first half of Acts, if not even farther into it, the majority of the conversions were preceded by miraculous events. Um, mm -hmm. But but that in and of itself does not mean that the word wasn't um, the converting factor. 
You know, the, the miracles true. kind of said it came from when, God, but the word is what converted them. When you look at First Corinthians 13, that which is in part was to be done away. And that which is perfect is come, which is the written word. We don't need the miracles, as some right. people would proclaim that we must have them today. That's not the proof of God. The proof of God is in his word, and by faith we grow in that word. It comes by hearing the word of God. Then when you put it into practice, isn't it interesting that the more faith you have in the word of God, the more evidence it is that you don't need the miracles today. You just need the word of God. That's right. Because you believe the miracles that are in the text. That's that's sure. the important part. Yeah. Sure. Any thoughts? I, isn't the miracle interesting in its dual effect? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. not only does it shut down this troublemaker, but at the same time, it convinces this man who's hearing the word, the pro counsel who winds up responding yeah. to it. So I just think it's fascinating, the dual uh, effect that this miracle has, both in dealing with him and uh, accomplishing, I think, what miracles were designed to accomplish, and that is persuading him that this message was true. Well, it's, you know, it's a lot like uh, Pharaoh's sorcerers. You know, they mimicked a couple of, with tricks, what was done, but eventually they couldn't do any farther. So here you had this, this sorcerer putting forth false acts, and now the proconsul sees the real power. Yeah. 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 Um, any other thoughts on that? The, the next question does overlap, and I'm going, I'm based on what the text kind of says. According to verse 12, what appears to have converted the proconsul? Um, what are your thoughts on that? How about Paul again? Yeah. Um, he believed uh, when he saw what was done, uh, and being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So there, there's uh, there's a combination there. There's some teachings that are taking place, but what confirms that the teaching is right is that Paul did this miracle. Yeah. See, that's what I was wondering about when we were looking at that is the, the idea here that although he saw the miracle that was done, and I think that caused him to listen, the words that the apostle spoke, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And it wasn't simply you know, the fact you know, that they said something that caused Elamus to be blind, but it was the actual teaching that they conveyed to him. I think that's right. I think it's the combination of the word and the validation, the miracle, confirming yeah. it being from God that convicts him. Yeah. I think Re so. Recently, we've had some discussions uh, privately about uh, studying evidences and, and such things. And sometimes we need to study those evidences to show some reasonableness of our faith. But then once we do that, it's the word that, that is able to teach us what to do and, and further help us to grow. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and kind of uh, building on what Paul was saying there, because I was kind of thinking that uh, uh, you, as I go through the book of Acts, I find that it is very much a book that demonstrates the importance of making your case. Uh, whether it's with something that you do or whether it's with what you say, uh, reasoning, arguing, uh, or, you know, reasoning with somebody, uh, uh, using, using the apologetic to convince somebody of the truth. Uh, and, uh, you, you, you just have examples of that all over the place. Uh, uh just always be reminded, we, we've noted, as we've gone through the book of Acts up to this point. And we have evidences today that we can study, we can know, 
And as we look at those things, it, it helps our faith to increase. And so, uh, and it can help us to confirm with those who may have, have doubts. And uh, I believe that that's exactly right, Shelton, that our video is uh, offline. And I'm trying, it looks like it may have recovered uh, if you refresh. And so, um, John is right. Yeah, John. Uh, okay. Uh, I can I can hear that at least, and now your video looks like it's uh, cleared up somewhat. Okay. And uh, this is not typical. Uh, we've had problems in the past, but it's been a long time since we had a problem like this, where yeah. the the video is is so it's, so it's something something external. Um, could be Cox working on something. It normally doesn't handle this precariously. Um, John, I'll, I'll leave it to your judgment, but I will tell you this: that uh, Shelton was exactly right that the external video feeds did go down and they did, do not automatically refresh. So I don't know if we would lose people or, or yeah, not. John, I'll have yeah, to give credit to Tom I, there for that comment. That was Tom's comment. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't, yeah, well, who cares? <laughs> who cares who said it? Uh, I mean, uh, I'm still showing us frozen on Facebook. I'm still showing us frozen on Truth Factor. And I've tried refreshing. I'm still showing us frozen at this moment, even though on, we're on, you, on YouTube the the video did did restart. Uh, the Ryan Facebook video is back up too. Yeah, mine's attempting to restart, but it's just it's okay. Frozen. We're we are we are back on. Um, so we're going. Let's see what time we're we looking at here. We still Forget got time if it'll. If it'll hold John, uh, it's pretty clear we won't finish this chapter. Do you mm -hmm. think maybe we could wrap up this section and, and maybe since we're having some technical problems, stop there? Or do you would you like to go ahead and move forward a little further? Well, you know me better than that. I'd just rather plow ahead. But um, that may be the thing Facebook's that we Facebook's still showing down, Tom, or at least mine, mine is. Yeah, that's Okay. That's all right. Um, tell you what, let's do. I hate you to do this to today, bed. especially since I'm trying to impress David over here. Um, but <laughs> we may go ahead and stop the study uh, because the next section we're about to get into is going to be a lengthy section, and I really would hate for that to be broken up with um, with some with with video issues. I have been recording it, so if the online versions of the of today's study is is choppy or broken, um, I should be able to upload a full um, a full thing. See, the thing is, our videos back up on Facebook and YouTube. That's that's not the issue at all. But the issue is, is it going to go down again? And if it goes down again, is it going to create a greater problem? And yes. um, something on this end is 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 causing the issue. And I'm just I'm not sure what the problem is today. Yeah, and you're also on Truth Factor Live again, which I know is your YouTube feed, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, since David isn't on here every week, we can just blame this one on him, and then it won't be our fault, and we can move on. <laughs> um, Shelton, you're too young to do that. <laughs> uh, not only that, you're too close. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's just one room over. I better watch myself. Yeah, 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 that, all of a sudden, John's going to come into your room and slap you on the back of the head. Yeah. John, I'll just make a, a real brief suggestion, and this is just a suggestion, but that as you review that, take a look at it. If for some reason it's not not uh, intelligible, 
Uh, you might be able to, if you had time, just record a short video summarizing uh, these few verses that we've looked at so far, and, you know, just on your own, or if you needed help from some of us, we would do that, and then uh, let, allow that to take the place of this video. And, yeah, 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 maybe David can set you straight, and he can help you with it. What I was, well, yeah, what I was saying was that if you, if it didn't look good, you could do that, and then if it does look fine, then go ahead with that. Okay. Since I've been recording it over here, I should have a clear recording of it. And I'll just go in and cut out any unnecessary discussions regarding the yeah, stream and then yeah. cap it off and, and call it done. Maybe you and should do that every week. Yeah. And then what we'll do is then next Wednesday, we'll pick up with verse 13 and go ahead and close it out. So let's, let's go ahead and close the study in our normal favorite fashion that we've done for five years. Here's where we close our study out. David, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it. Sorry we've had the issues here. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you during the course of the meeting. And it ends Thursday night. So if you live in the Oklahoma City area, um, come out at 7 o'clock, Seminole Point Church of Christ. Go to our website, seminolepoint.church. And you, we are live streaming it, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully we'll be live streaming it tonight. Um, and on our Facebook page as well. Uh, guys, any other thoughts or questions? All right. John, may I put a plug in for a couple of gospel meetings real quick? Go ahead, Mike. Mm -hmm. The Lord willing, uh, I'll begin a gospel meeting a little place south of Orleans here toward French Lick called Prospect. We'll meet Monday through Friday at 7 o'clock. And then uh, Sunday the 23rd, I'll be in a gospel meeting at Walnut Chapel, which is south of Casey, Illinois, about 8 to 10 miles, something like that. Anybody that might be listening uh, from those areas, we'd be tickled to death to see you come and help the gospel of Christ be spread in those small congregations. Sounds good, Mike. Sounds good. All righty. Well, if everything goes according to plan, Lord willing, we'll continue our study through Acts chapter 13, hopefully a little bit longer. And we'll pick up with verse 13 next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. In the Eastern Time Zone, that'll be at noon. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here live. If you're on a beautiful summer vacation in Honolulu, Hawaii, you'll have to tune in early at 6 o'clock in the morning. All righty. Makes me appreciate where we live, Shelton. I appreciate that. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.